did you know that Patrick Vieira is both the only black head coach in Major League Soccer and the best midfielder at NYCFC? You know, what's even crazier than that is the fact that uh, Patrick Vieira is only two years older than Frank Lampard. How about that? Which means that City has to sign into some kind of like player coach contract, like just in case of an emergency. And by emergency, I mean the continued existence of mixed discaroot. <laughs> also diversify that midfield. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> that old school Vieira is the kind of player, arguably that uh, NYCFC needs in the midfield. Arguably, the kind of player that every single team in the world <laughs> needs in midfield. Like, but unfortunately for New York City FC, like that's the guy they need like right now. <laughs> like In 2015, yeah. the actual Patrick Vieira should probably start. It's interesting, though. Only black guy. Only black head coach in Major League Soccer. Yep. It's quite... Uh, yeah, it's impressive. I mean, it's... Like, it's, been a like, long, it's been a long time. <laughs> you had to put out some kind of effort to just not have more than one black coach, just like by accident. It's like, oh, wait, who did we hire? Oh, shit. Look at that. But yeah. no. Yeah. I mean, Ben Olsen can get a job. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were about to <laughs> imply that Ben Olsen was black. <laughs> uh, I'm sure somebody's out there making that argument. <laughs> one sixteenth. <laughs> <laughs> Half Cherokee on my, <laughs> on on my, my grandmother's side. <laughs> on my stepmama's side. why his hair is so curly. Anyway, welcome to possibly the last episode of the Soccer Godcast. <laughs> I am your co-host, Kevin Brown. I don't have Twitter anymore, so don't ask me. And with me is Meridi Morungi. At Nutmeg Radio. Right. And uh, you can send me all of the tweets that you... Uh, intended to send to Kevin, and I just won't respond to him. <laughs> My mentions are, have been a black hole of nonsense this week. Uh, yes, what's uh, what's going on in the world of football and soccer? International Week. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's that's the theme song. That should be the new FIFA international theme song. I think the more interesting thing that's happening right now is what's going on in Missouri. Yeah. All of the uh, yeah. student protests, the uh, athletes, the football team at the University of Missouri who dis- like collectively, from coach down to uh, the team, decided not to play. Well, it's not anymore. completely collectively, right? I mean... It- it was presented, I'm sure there were dissenters in the ranks, but presented, a, in theory, a united-looking front for a period of time, saying, yeah. we as a team are not going to play until uh, the administration meets uh, certain needs uh, that the black student population um, put forth because they felt neglected, they felt invisible, they felt... Uh, as if the school wasn't for them. It wasn't a safe place for them. Uh, and so eventually the president at Missouri stepped down, which is, God damn it, that's amazing. It really is. Um, but I'm still, like, th- talking about this story all week has made me, like, physically tired. Like, it's it's tiring, the arguments and some people try to present about it. 
Right. Um, but for me, I'm kind of caught in a space where I'm wondering, was the Missouri president's resignation, was that a victory for social justice or was that just the power of the dollar? Like, I want to feel great about it, but it's, I, I don't know if it's reality or just my natural cynicism, whether I'm only allowing myself to, like, feel but so good about what happened. Like, there's only so much of it as I'm willing, that I'm willing to chalk up as a victory. Right. I mean, like if this I, doesn't... Is, the, is the concern that if dollars aren't involved, that that kind of outcome Right, that nothing is going to change. Right. But um, the flip side to that is it's absolutely incredible that those young men of the Missouri football team recognized the power that they had. They recognized the dollars that they represented and what it would mean. At four and five. Right, even as a terrible team, but it's like, nope, this <laughs> is awful. SEC football. We've got a TV contract. We were about to sell sure. out Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday. And they recognized their power as seemingly powerless scholarship athletes, and they decided to use their platform to do something, to represent something bigger than themselves. Right. And self-plug, I did this thing with our producer Pablo, who's always here, but you guys don't know because he doesn't say anything. Because he doesn't like none of y'all. But we did this. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> we, did, we did a video for, uh, you know, the non-soccer element of Fusion. Fusion regular. Yeah. Talking about that sort of split, justice versus commerce. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's strange but cool. That... People are wondering probably right now uh, what the tie is into soccer. And we might get there. Uh. We might not. Yeah, this is all I'm talking about this week. I'm really not interested in talking about anything else but this this week. Like I don't, yeah, uh, yeah. You know I, the activism piece. I mean, I don't know whether you have to decide whether going back to that money issue. I don't know if you have to decide whether this was a success because of the money involved or whether it was just down to pure numbers of students. Uh, Trying to fight the system, I don't think it matters. I don't think you necessarily have to parse kind of what the cause was if the result was that the president stepped down. The fact that uh, those students, regardless, brought a ton of coverage to a situation that was going on already, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's been going on there for, I mean, people talk months, a year, a year and change, but I mean, these are issues that go on on. Every majority college campus across the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's. It's not as if this this is an isolated incident. I mean, this has been going on since I was in college. It, you know, everywhere. And it seems like there were some other there were some other issues that um, were going on at University of Missouri that were kind of getting swept under that the black student sort of uprisings kind of brought to light like there was issues with the university and how they were dealing with Planned Parenthood um, right. there was like some LGBT stuff going yeah. on there that was kind of weird there was some stuff female students were having some problems that weren't really being reported that weren't being taken care of it just seemed like this particular thing was sort of like the last straw and it just now it's in the news that this campus just had a horrible culture of like a really bad lack of inclusivity for minority groups of any definition and because of all of that the cumulative effect of all of that and now with so many eyes being on you like as a president of a university you are the ceo of a business 
mm-hmm. right? And the P, the PR of your business, like your university looks terrible right now. So even if you believe that there's some sort of, you know, free speech problem and you've got an overly PC, blah, 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 it's kind of irrelevant as far as whether that man should have kept his job. He was bad for business. He had to go. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> is that just too is that too cold and clinical of an approach for what this was? No, I mean I, I think there's no it's not, but I think kind of there's a broader lesson here too. Um and it's how far students or marginalized people's communities have to go to be heard. It's something that I think about when these incidents happen all the time when people eventually say like, hey, this is not how we go about things. You're causing too much. But like people in power usually want change to happen on their comfortable terms, right? Right. And so if they don't see anything in their face, if there isn't a mass disruption, um, whether it's, I'm not saying that happened here, but whether a threat of violence, a threat of your money being messed with, as long as there's not some threat a, a constant present threat in your face, you will not act. And if you do, you probably will not act in a timely manner. Right, because it's, it's not in your benefit to act. Right. Like, it's, it's either not in your benefit, you either don't care, or you just don't see the things. And, and you can live, I mean, that's what privilege is, right? It's a privilege of being oblivious. Comfort. It's yeah. a comfort of being oblivious to certain things. And so when I see these situations, it always makes me realize that change takes these things, right? Even for a national conversation to happen around Missouri, it had to get to this extreme point, Mm -hmm. right? Like, people have to get shot in the street. People have to sort of start breaking into stores. People have to, in order for there to be a national discussion about things that people have been complaining about and talking about for decades, right? Mm-hmm. That's what has to happen. Until it's thrown in your face in such a wildly aggressive way, you don't want to believe it. Right. and that's what Or it, until... Until they mess with your money. Or, yeah, until they throw it in your face, until they mess with your money, or until Jon Stewart tells you it's a real thing. <laughs> you know, I saw the news that uh, yeah. Jon Stewart... Like, they're like real problems so, in, in yeah, the inner So cities. many people are like, well, damn it. Why didn't John Stewart tell us this was happening before he left? Yeah. <laughs> I hope there's like, like I don't know if I believe this lost, Trevor Noah guy. <laughs> lost episodes or something where he tells me what well, what should I be thinking right yeah. now? John Stewart. What would what would John Stewart do? Huh. Um Sounds like a good business. <laughs> should we should we uh for the sake of continuation, should we should we No, wait, you know what? I was going to try to bring this to a soccer thing just for the hell of it. But there is one more point about this Missouri stuff that I'm kind of weirded out about. Uh, you and I were talking about this a little before we came down here to record this. This um, These First Amendment constitutional sort of fundamentalists that are now popping up out of nowhere. Suddenly everyone gives a shit about freedom of the press in this story. Um if you don't, if you don't know, there have been in days past. It's kind of changed since um, the Concerned Students 1950 group has kind of changed their tact. But earlier this week, um, the students leading the protest in Missouri had been blockading, like physically blockading the media from filming and recording in what 
the students were calling their private space. I mean, have you, you met the media? <laughs> I wouldn't let them in. No. Now, <laughs> granted, this private space was in the middle of like a quad on a public university campus, right? So, yes, constitutionally speaking, the media had every right to be there. You're covering protests, freedom of speech, blah, 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 blah. Right. Great. My problem with that is that, like, when I was discussing this issue on Twitter or Facebook, right, when it was first happening, when we were talking about the racist culture and the culture of higher institutions that are majority white, what's it like to be a black student at a mostly white school, or just being a minority, race, race, gender, whatever, being an other, mm-hmm. right? And the difficulty of that. And when I say those things, I got no replies, no conversation. But when I propose the idea, you know, get the F out of here with your freedom of the press nonsense, like if that's your main takeaway from this story, mm-hmm. if that's the thing that makes you angry, mm-hmm. I'm, try- I'm trying not to say this profanely because it makes me angry, but go F yourself. Right. If that's your main takeaway from the I mean, story. but but it's also, it, that perfectly mirrors what happens on these campuses, right? Students of color or, or the LBGTQ community or women say these things about their experiences on campuses all the time, right? Mm-hmm. No one outside of that community really wants to listen to them, right? It's taken so long for advances to happen among those communities, and no one says anything. But once you shift the conversation to, like you're, like what you're noticing on Twitter, once someone shifts the conversation to, like, oh, media, freedom of press, then people have opinions, right? Right. Because, I mean, <laughs> and that's, I mean, but, but that's just how, that's how people are wired, right? They, like, they don't see, they don't experience someone else's pain. They don't relate to it. And it's, it's I think the reason why the the status quo exists at these universities is because people outside of a hurt community don't really give a shit. Right? <laughs> they don't like they can't be bothered by it until something's in their face. Yeah, I mean, and, and, empathy is difficult, right? Sure, empathy is difficult, but it's it to me it's absurd to criticize these kids for the way they treated the media other than like physically shoving photographers. They're like, all right, that's too far. Fine. Uh But how can you talk about freedom of the press and the obligation of the press and they have a job to do and at no point have it crossed your mind what, A, how these kids relate to the media or how black folks in general relate to the media. If you don't trust the press to cover your story properly, tell your story accurately with with the nuance and with the historical basis that it requires to tell the story, if you have no faith in them doing so, why the hell would you invite them into your private quarters where you're sleeping and having personal private conversations? Like, why would you want them anywhere near your story Especially in 2015 when I have Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I don't need you anymore. It's the same way like athletes don't talk to the media and give them all nonsense questions because athletes don't need the media to reach fans anymore, right? These protest groups, these activist groups do not need mainstream media to get their story out. The need for mainstream media comes from the what would John Stewart crowd do where unless the person that you really mess with at the New Yorker tells the story, then you're like, okay, now this is legit. Mm-hmm. That's why you're crying from, for the media. Because you don't have 
you you don't have the faculties within yourself to decipher what's real and what's nonsense unless the right person tells you. So, it's like people are people are yelling about this and don't understand the distrust of the media. One and two, don't tell me about constitutional law when these kids are fighting to be recognized as humans, and your retort is constitutional law. Like, as a black man, tell me what that piece of paper means to me. I don't have the luxury of holding up the U.S. Constitution as this holy document, end-all, be-all of righteousness. Yeah. It has not been that for my people. Right. So these kids are coming at the Constitution. Right. You were talking about, like, like this, like... The Second Amendment. Yeah, the right really? to their arms. Like, that's equitably... Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like, what is that meant for us? Right, like, right, 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 right. Like, <laughs> that is arguably, in many places, a death sentence right. for a black person. Right. Um, and it's like, uh, it's the right sort of for some people to bear arms more than, than others. <laughs> and right. I think, the, the, but that's, you know, that's a story of... Being black in America, right? right like, I can't walk into a Walmart with a rifle. What the hell do I care about what the Constitution says about the right to bear arms? Right. Just because it says it on the piece of paper, I can't do what everybody else can do. And uh, just historically, the, the like, protest has involved messing with so, so-called freedoms, right? I mean, pro- breaking laws. It, it's Right. Like, like, resistance has always looked like that. Right. Resistance to go to the rule book and say... Hey, well, see, if you look here on section four, paragraph two, what's your, I mean, no one, no one that's achieved anything substantively has protested. Like, the civil rights protests weren't about, like, hey, well, what does the law say? It was about, like, you know what, if we think that it is righteous and right to break that law because it infringes on something that I need to express, a reality that I need to express, so be it. Right. Like, that's what like, civil disobedience is. Yeah. And for a while, this time, the media got caught in that seat, in that civil disobedience. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, again, uh, at no point talking about, like, taking someone's camera or whatever. But Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's extreme. Not like, even, that's right. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, unnecessary. Yeah. That's wild. Right. Like, the teacher who was out there screaming, oh, I need some muscle... For like the student, for like, all right, lady, you're nuts. Like, you're you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I need some muscle to shove back this. Like, oh, okay, lady. Right. What do you say we take ourselves a short break and try to actually bring this into a soccer context? Okay. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Soccer Nonsense Theater. Today, we have a dramatic reading of the phone call between. French nationalist Karim Benzema and his friend Karim Zanati regarding their dealings with the sexual mixtape of one Matthew Valbuena. Please join us. I said to him, he is my friend, my mate, my best friend. He is like my brother. It is like as if he had a video of me. Hmm. He said to me, yes, but you... What would you have done? I said to him, me, I, I don't give a shit about Buzz, you see? So I would have just paid for my family. I said to him, you, if it is about Buzz, if it is about just the Buzz, and you have warned your family, and they don't care, 
Well, then let it be released, I said to him. Well, yes, even I would have said that, brother. Well, there you have it. <laughs> yes, yes, it's us, brother. We are here in any case to sort it out. If he does not want it, then leave him. He can deal with these piranhas. He will deal with these piranhas, and then he will... They will piss all over him. They will piss all over him, brother. I'm fired up, eh? The piranhas... They will eat him, bro. Yes, when you said to me that he was a good friend, I said to you, yes, after maybe, they will ask the friend. They will say to him, I do not know, two football match tickets, or I do not know what else they are paying at. <laughs> well, there you go. Job done. After that, he will do what he wants. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Soccer Nonsense Theater. Hello there. Are you still listening? Why? I'm shocked. Why? If you are, <laughs> shout out to you. Um, this is, believe it or not, this is the Soccer Godcast. I am Kevin Brown, at Friendly Foe on Twitter. I lied in the first segment. And with me still is Meridi Marungi. At Nutmeg Radio. Uh, ahoy. Why don't people say ahoy anymore? Because we are no longer a nation that prides itself on maritime exploits. Speak for yourself, my friend. <laughs> Boats are dope. Uh, so we were talking about activism mm-hmm. uh, at Missouri, but there is a little bit possibly of a soccer segue. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is... Uh, so there's a, there's a long history of activism in sports, generally, but also in soccer, there's a bit of it as well. I mean, people a lot of times see it in the stands, uh, but the whole Missouri incident got us thinking about what it might look like uh, to have athletes acting like this. Um, one of the recent things that's happened in European soccer uh, involved Yaya Torre at one point after being racially abused in Russia. Um, he was talking about what would happen if all African players decided not to play at the 2018 World Cup in Russia, um, which is an interesting thought, uh, a powerful thought. Um, God, and just imagining that. what that. that would look like. I mean, it, it, for those of you who may not follow what goes on there, it's almost Russia is the goddamn a weekly worst. occurrence where black players get racially abused playing soccer in Russia. Um, there was a period of banana tossing, rich in potassium. <laughs> As we discussed, we don't know where those bananas are coming from in Russia. Um, That's an in-depth story. Can we? Is that a story we can do on SoccerGods.com? We trace the life of a banana as it goes from like uh, some farm in Brazil to being hurled at Hulk somewhere in St. Right. Petersburg. And then what happens to it? <laughs> yeah, what, is, what happens where to does that, that banana? When this banana was young, did it know that it would be hurled at one of its countrymen in a racist action? But but that idea of mass boycott because for me one of the reasons why what happened in Missouri was effective was because it was collective, right? Mm-hmm. It was an entire team saying, <clears throat> we're not going to play. Yeah, yeah, 
I know that we're part of this NCAA thing. I know that we have a schedule. We got BYU next weekend. We're not playing. Mm -hmm. Coaches were on board, presumably. The head coach was on board, presumably, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what that would look like. Because at some point, an organization, UEFA, whoever, FIFA, can only ban so many people, right? Like, are you going to, if an entire team, an entire country said we're not, our teams aren't showing up to your Champions League games mm-hmm. until you deal with X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's money on the table, which is why gonna say, it's yeah. not going to be like a team saying it. Like, corporately, it's not going to be a team saying it. But players? Yeah. I mean, I think that if a couple players walk on a team, you could possibly see other players not of that background, join in solidarity and say, look, I'm tired. Because there's a level of exhaustion I see when it comes to, like, Yaya Torre or any number of these other players, like when it happened to Balotelli, when it happened to Ito. When they just, like, they walk off fields. they like, grown-ass men on the verge of tears. And you think, like, what does it take for, for a house to get in order so that, people won't feel abused anymore. It was right? only a friendly, but didn't AC Milan walk off with Balotelli once? It was Kevin it was Kevin Prince Bonatek who yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at some friendly like they're yeah. like all right. Pretty sure it was Kevin enough Prince Bonatek. But it brings it back see look at me being racist getting my black people mixed up. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh what about Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure that was Yafet Koto. What do you mean? <laughs> Forrest Whitaker was a great striker for Arsenal in the late 1980s. He went on to play Ghost Dog. It was amazing. <laughs> when the Wrens showed up for Lazio. Um, but like, it, it brings it back to the commerce conversation, right? Like, if African players, black players globally, one day decided to get together and was like, you know what? No, nah, we're just not doing this. We're not doing it. And realize the impact that it would have on their teams and by extension the leagues and by extension UEFA. Would would it actually make a difference though? Because like you argue like why hasn't UEFA done more? Like they have those little punk ass punishments you find right. you have like, oh, you're gonna play in a this section's gonna be empty. Who right. gives a shit? Right. We're gonna find you a million euros, who gives a shit? Right. Right? So unless there's they like... They talk a, about kicking teams out of the competition. You're never going to do it. But yeah, you're not. You're, you're not, not going gonna to. Do it. You're going to kick Zenit St. Petersburg out of... Yeah, you're going to do it? Let's... Like, you won't... You won't do it. Yeah. Like, you will keep... These teams have been collecting fines for like a decade. Right? right. It's like, oh, again? Yeah. Another fine, another fine, another fine. All right. At what point is, do, do you... Like, what's the next step? There, and, like, there is no next step. And what does a million dollar fine to Zenit mean to a Zenit supporter? It's not his money. Yeah. <laughs> like, my club gets fined for doing XYZ. What do I, mean, I care? Things, not only that, it's, it's like you have on the other side of it, you have the teams that are being penalized. What they do is they send in advocates, their lawyers, when they go and contest these things. So they'll say, for example, that like, Hey, there were 200 people. We were we've been accused of 200 people in this section racially abusing so and so. It was actually they'll go in there and say it was actually two people, right? <laughs> and, and and so they go in there and they present. They always say this didn't happen, right? That's their stance. Always mm-hmm. they always send in an official to deny it, 
Meanwhile, they're like, oh, these guys are partners in the say no to racism campaigns. And they're like, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, don't deny that every single time someone is accused of something, there's an advocate on behalf of that team going in to argue or to deny what happened. Going there, have to deny everything Mm -hmm. to accept whatever punishment they get, to lessen it. But that's what happens. And really, it's it's just not an effective system. And it's disingenuous to think that, that that any of these systems, whether it's UEFA's disciplinary committee, whether it's FIFA's, are actually doing anything. I mean, they're acting effectively like the University of Missouri's, uh, like government, right? I mean, I mean, administration. They're acting as if they have everyone's best interests at heart, but when it comes down to it, no one's calling them out on it. Right, and so what happened in Missouri is they finally got called out on it. Mm-hmm. Right, there has been enough of a collective effort to get called out on it. It hasn't really happened in soccer. Right. So, what do you think? If we're keeping it in from like in a European perspective right now, right? What do you yeah. think? What what measure? What action from black and brown players do you think it would take? I mean, well, two things. First is that it's almost patently unfair to put the pressure on people who are getting abused, right? To have to say, what are you going to do? That's, I mean, it sucks, right? The reality yeah. is that no one else seems to really give a shit. Yeah. It, is not right? the, it is not the obligation of the oppressed to, to change the way of the oppressor. Right, right. But right. unless the oppressed actually, like what history has shown is that unless the oppressed actually gets up and say says something gets up and says i've had enough right no one's gonna listen and in a way no that one's... makes the oppressor uncomfortable right 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 and so i mean not even uncomfortable but hurts them somehow right i'm not gonna play your game anymore right. but you make millions of dollars how could see i mean like yeah. then that's then, then that happens but those pl- i mean th- coll- i mean collectively it would be amazingly powerful if 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 those players dozens, could convince dozens of high their, impact minority players decide their teammates walk right you know, right second Sunday in December we're not, not playing. playing we're just not playing right yeah I mean and then the the same thing like the same blueprint exists for how to do this it just sucks because it falls on the shoulders of those black and brown people mm-hmm. right and consistently to to go out there and not just say hey this has been happening to me can we take care of this job done it's to continually go out there and face injustices and face abuse until you break right mm-hmm. and then that breaking point is the news it is what people care to cover mm-hmm. That is, I mean, sadly, how it works. And, I mean, 2018 is a long time away, but I can see the Russia World Cup serving up an incident of intolerance and hatred that is just so awful that it forces FIFA, UEFA, whoever's hand into finally taking some real action. Like, imagine... Cameroon being in FIFA's group, and that's the opening game Russia's of the World group. Cup. Russia's group in in the opening game of the World Cup, something horrific, something so bad, so ridiculous. But the, the I think also the I guess the 
difference between the World Cup, what people tend to say is that the socioeconomic makeup of a World Cup match isn't the same as the socioeconomic as makeup game. of a club game. And so you're going to have sort of more of a high-end crowd who very knows better, right? Um, but hardcore sort of Russia like fans of like the Spartaks and Ultras and uh, mm-hmm. Zenit and I mean, all of them, right? <laughs> uh, like, fa- I mean, or, they'll make their way to Russia games, I'm sure, sure. right? I mean, uh, it's... Like, I'm sure whatever their they, version of Sam's Army they have, like, their discounted tickets and... they have that? Cheaper. Sure, they do. Everybody's got their groups. <laughs> Lenin's Army? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... I don't know. I, I, to put the pressure on, like you said before, to put pressure on players who are the recipients of the abuse to do something to affect change is just... Eh. Right. So that so that answers the question I was going to ask you was like, do you think an athlete has any obligation to use their platform for something bigger than themselves? Nope. 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 Yeah. Never. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, like it, I prefer I like, it. Right. I like seeing it, but yeah. I think it's absolutely absurd to to require to to, to require it. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, people are entitled to go back home and say, yeah, yeah, I want to. Go watch 18 hours of Law and Order. Yeah, like I was seeing, like this week in the NBA, people were talking about it. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was giving Michael Jordan shit. Said I'm misquoting, but I'm paraphrasing. He said something to the effect that Jordan chose commerce over conscience. Right. That's they've been saying that for. Yeah, it was. Forever, I mean, right? it's, yeah, it's true. Because yeah. remember, Jordan once famously said, "Yeah, Republicans buy sneakers too." Yep. And like stuff like that. So you but he was incorrect because they don't. They just buy loafers. <laughs> <laughs> Make them air boat shoes. <laughs> them deck walkers. <laughs> I don't think you can get those with a Jordan logo. But yeah, yeah. I don't think, and not just athletes, entertainers, whatever. Like outside of a politician, like I don't know that I would. Yeah, it's not fair to require someone to stand up for any sort of bigger cause. All right. So here's a question. So what? U.S. soccer. Is there anything, do you think there's anything in U.S. soccer that's, that's boycott, that, that's offensive enough that's boycott worthy? Where U.S. soccer is weird. It's, it's a really weird place because, because of, I think, how it feels. It feels like we don't have any problems, right? That's what, that's what the sort of, framing of it is well i say people never talk about that stuff the two things for me one is obvious and one is something i'd like to research more before i go off on a wild tangent about it the first one is i suggest going off on a wild tangent (laughs) just spaz this is a microphone don't worry about it um it's not recording sound the first one is the lack of black head coaches executives front office personnel right Uh uh-huh uh, as we mentioned, as of right now, Patrick Vieira, who was just hired 15 minutes ago, is the only black head coach in MLS. And I believe the Red Bulls' Ali Curtis is the only black general manager. And this is his first season. Um, that's something that's obviously problematic. 
The other one, which... If my stats are right, Ali Curtis, you know, hire more Ali Curtises. <laughs> Ali Curtis is now required to hire an all-black scouting department. <laughs> what you doing for the people, Ali Curtis? Um, that was a joke. <laughs> Jesus, don't at me. Um, and the other one is something that I'd like to research in the future, and it's something we talk about a lot. That gap between the amount of black and brown and minority kids playing soccer versus how many actually turn pro and where that gap stops and how pay for play comes into it and how some of the stuff that we talked about with Thomas Rongan last week about where uh, so-called higher end developmental academies decide to pluck kids from. I'd like to know... Uh, it, it seems to me to be too much of a coincidence that all of our elite youth are coming from the same places and not coming from places that we know damn well play a lot of soccer. That's weird to me, but that's something I want to research more. Um, yeah. And if you ask me if, they, if, if I see anything boycott-worthy... Maybe not boycott-worthy, but enough that I'd like to see a player say something about the front office head coaching issue. Um, I'd like to see more players, more black and brown players, be willing to tell their own stories about what has or has not held them back at the youth level. Uh-huh. You know, I want to he- I want to hear more about. I want to hear. See, I don't want to use a name just to you know to. Yeah. Think I'm implicating anyone, but I'd like to hear from a Latino player from Southern Cali who's made it, but he says, yeah, when I was 14, you know, I was the fourth best kid on this squad, but I was the one who could go to the next level because, you know, my parents worked and they could get me into this, so I got a scholarship to do this, yada, yada, yada. But I wasn't the best. I was just the one who could go that far because I could afford it for whatever reason. I want to hear the stories about the other ones who were great that we'll never know about because of hurdles that they shouldn't have to jump over. Yeah, I I also part of for me part of the reason why we don't hear we haven't historically heard a lot of these stories comes down to comes down to a lack of sort of, a lack of diversity, right? A, a lot a lack of sort of angles to go out people interested in going out and getting those stories mm-hmm. people whose minds are already and to bring it back to Missouri to bring it back to, to wherever when we're looking sort of top down from front offices marketing departments media like at some point the diversity question starts starts mapping those who are in control of that message right and so it looks like what people that are doing it find interesting. It looks like their life experiences, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Uh, and historically, I think if there was more sort of diversity within the media, you'd get different sets of questions, mm-hmm. right? You'd have different interests. Uh, you'd have different origin stories. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think... It's just a bigger it, idea of representation rather like than... Like, the stories are issue. there, right? Because the people are there. <clears throat> MLS mm. is also... I mean, MLS loves to tout this, but of the five major sports leagues in... <laughs> Latino del año. In, in, <laughs> North, in North America, or in the U.S. and Canada, mm-hmm. 
MLS is the most diverse from a player standpoint. And by <laughs> diverse, that means not born in America, right? Uh, and they're very proud of that. And it's, I think, by a huge gap as well. But I would say even the, diver- the American player base is is pretty diverse now. It's a lot more than it used to be. Is, is, Especially among Latin uh, Latin Latino Americans. Absolutely. It's a lot more than it was in the MLS point one point. Absolutely, absolutely. And so there are questions about why does the rest of the game not look like that? Right. Or is there is it has there been a progression? Is it getting better significantly? Or is it I mean like to keep bringing up kind of the Ben Olsen or Petkey example. This isn't about whether, like, hey, it, I mean, it is sort of, like, whether they're a good coach or not, but it's about how you got the chance. Yeah, why do you get to stroll from the field right, right. to it's, the bench? This guy looks like he has a future in coaching. This guy looks like, okay, Patrick Vieira's got a coaching job in New York. Patrick Vieira's been working with the Manchester City U19s and, like, doing well with them, right? He's been around sort of that circuit, getting his badges, and it's that sort of makes it, right? I mean, fine, if you talk about, well, Ben Olsen has been, he understands the league, he's a smart guy, he Uh, can get it. Him and Pecky, both club legends, so them, I kind of, them specifically... I get why they were allowed sure, to walk. Sure, sure, and I'm just and I'm using them as an example, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to say, like, okay, uh, there's a risk involved there, right? You don't know that mm-hmm. he could do it. There's still questions about Ben Olsen. Mm-hmm. I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch these guys to play, right? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're they're questions. They're not questions about like he's a gritty guy and like he's a say he coaches he stands on the sideline the same way he did on the field. He's got that drive. Yeah, great, we get that, but. That's a risk as a head coach. There are plenty of other risks, intelligent risks, I imagine, are around. And if the risks that you keep taking throughout the league keep looking the same, raise I got questions. Yeah, where right? does progress come if you just keep putting the same people in the same positions over and over again? Yeah. Um, while we're sitting here recording, someone on Twitter has asked us a question. This very much relates to what's going on. Uh, Brandon Jarrett, who I think asked us a question before that we answered. He said, what can or should uh, MLS Players Union learn from Mizzou football players? I guess the quick answer to that is learn what sort of dollars you represent collectively. Right. (laughs) Missouri was, I mean, Missouri, the money on the table in theory is the scholarship, right? But, uh, are you going to take scholarships away from the entire from the entire team? Right. You would never do that. Right? Like, You'd never do that. Good PR decision. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> You'd never congratulations. do that. Congratulations. That there's the collective part of the bargaining mm-hmm. thing is a very important thing, right? Is the realization of how much power one has if you can afford to walk away, right? Right. Um well, and I think that's the bigger question for MLS. That's, There's a lot of check-to-check guys. Right. I mean, we're not still living in the $30,000 player era. Right. I mean, now the bare minimum is, what, 55 and change, something like that? Uh-huh. I think it's a league minimum, which isn't great money, but it's it's better than it used to be. And are players at that level willing to walk away if they believed in whatever 
issue they saw in collective bargaining, be it minority hires or free agency or a better split of TV rights or whatever? I mean, for me, the interesting question is, I mean, to, to ask almost any player is, what would you be willing to walk away for? Right. Right, like what is an issue that is walkaway worthy? What's the, I mean, from, at Missouri, this was kind of a human dignity story, right? This is a, seeing too much of this, we're staying in solidarity with these other people, we're out. It was, a, from what's been reported, from what players have said, was principled stand. I wonder if there are, I mean, I wonder if that issue, if any issue like that exists. That they care so much about. Right. Free agency? Well, based on the last round of CBA negotiations, I say no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a chance to do it, right? If yeah. like if there was a stance that they were going to make, it would have happened this offseason and we wouldn't be playing games right now. Or we would have had a shortened season. So I guess, I mean, I think players know what power they do or don't have. Yeah. It's a matter with how comfortable they feel with wielding it. Right. I mean, well, yeah. What do you... What do you I mean, players aren't going to boycott over a lack of representation in head coaches. I think as a player, you don't give a damn about <laughs> As a player, well, you're not losing sleep But over, I think uh, before, we get, before we even get to the stage of walking away from the game to fight for something, they have to at least say it out it. loud. Right, right. 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 Like, our, our players don't even say things that they're unhappy about for the most part. Let alone do something as drastic as walk away from money. And when they do, it's like, yo, look what so and so said. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, Brad Evans said something about yeah. the CBA. See, this is crazy. Oh, or anytime Hercules Gomez tweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Herc yeah. tweets like a free man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he tweets like. Herc don't give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> and that was weird that he's back. That Now that Herc is back in MLS, he hasn't changed. His like philosophy about speaking freely, like at all, There's, I mean, which is dope. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, I can say that stuff as a former guy and as an outsider guy. He's like, no, 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 no. It makes him so much more interesting. And right? on Toronto, no less, a team that's like burns money. You know, you've got seven million dollar players on that roster, and he'll still publicly say that the roster structure of MLS is ridiculous. That's cool. Shout out to Hercules. Hercules, I can't believe I just did that. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> you only made it worse. Yeah. I think we're done this week. Let's wrap this up. Before we get uh, tossed out of here by security or something. Uh, yeah, this has been the Soccer Godcast. Thank you for listening. Peace. The Soccer Godcast has been brought to you by Not Draft Kings. Use the hashtag SoccerGodcast on Twitter to get in touch. Follow Kevin Brown at Friendly Foe, Meridi Marungi at Nutmeg Radio, and of course Soccer Gods at Soccer Gods. Don't forget to visit us at SoccerGods.com.